For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Thursday, October 19th. The NBA season starts next week, and you definitely don't need me to tell you how big a business that is, both sports and television. We've never had a sports agent on this show, but there aren't a lot of sports agents with a Hollywood story like Rich Paul's story. Rich is the founder of Clutch Sports. He launched it in 2012 to represent his friend, LeBron James. Pretty good first client. And he's since grown it to rep dozens of top athletes, including the NBA's Anthony Davis, Draymond Green, many more. He grew up on the east side of Cleveland in the 80s as the crack epidemic was destroying both his neighborhood and his mother. He became very good at rolling dice selling weed. At one point, he sold the harder stuff as well. After high school, Rich was selling vintage jerseys out of the trunk of his car until 2002 when he randomly met LeBron at the airport. They bonded over a throwback Warren Moon jersey. That meeting would prove to be transformative. They became friends. LeBron helped Rich get a job at CAA, which repped him at the time. He learned the business there. And then a few years later, he went out on his own, taking LeBron and some other CAA clients with him. Rich grew clutch to the point that in 2019, UTA Another Hollywood agency made a big investment in the company and named Rich the co-head of UTA Sports, a separate unit there. He also joined the agency's board. And now Rich wrote a book, a memoir called Lucky Me, about his childhood, his relationship with his father. I read it. I thought it was really interesting. And I didn't know much about him, except that he was LeBron's agent and he dates Adele. So today we've got him on the show, Rich Paul. We're going to talk about NBA TV rights, the agency game, the book, players owning teams, the evolution of the sports business, and much more. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Rich Paul, who is the founder and CEO of Clutch Sports Group and the co-head of UTA Sports, also a board member at UTA. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Congrats. You are number seven on the New York Times bestseller list for nonfiction for Lucky Me, your book. Yes, less, man. Yeah, I never thought my story would become a bestseller, but here we are. So we're going to talk a little bit about the book. We'll talk a little bit about the current sports media business environment. Curious your thoughts on some of the big narratives going on. But first, I've always been curious about the relationship between Clutch and UTA. They made an investment in 2019. You joined the board of the agency in 2020. How does that work? Does UTA own Clutch? Could you walk away tomorrow if you wanted to? Like, how does that work? Yeah, well, you can always walk away, but I don't want <laughs> to. It works just as you said. It. You know, they are a great partner for us. I wanted to make sure that 
if I was going to partner with somebody that one plus one actually equaled three, I was in a position where it wasn't a, a financial thing. It was more about just growing the resources and relationships globally that can help me do a better job for my clients. You know, the athlete was changing, the mentality of the athlete was changing. And all the resources aren't for every athlete, but you need it just in case. And, you know, anytime you're building a business in the, in the position that I was, you have a couple ways of doing things. You can raise money and go out and get the people, mm-hmm. or you can partner with somebody that has the people and, and the finance of it comes with that. And so for me, I've always put everything back into my business and I continue to do so. And so it's been great. Definitely made the right choice partnering with UTA. In the beginning, I understood what was necessary for Clutch Sports Group. I didn't imagine where it would take Rich Paul in a sense, right? In terms of my personal growth, in addition to all the things I was already doing. And I had a number of resources and relationships myself. But when you combine those two things, it's really allowed me to scale the business, also grow as an individual, in addition to learn. I've been learning a lot about the television and film business, how that actually works, how the ecosystem of UCA works. And then when you put those two companies, you integrate them together, it's been great. So give me an example of a client that has benefited from Clutch being attached to a Hollywood agency. I think all, you know, when you look at the GMC deal we did with with LJ, with the Hummer, there's some things in the work with Jalen Hurts. Uh, We've done things with Trey Young. Draymond's doing a, a book soon to be. I think he's working on some other things. If you look at what we was able to do with Spring Hill and the Adam Sandler movie, six of those players in the movie were our guys, Jordan Clarkson, Tyrese Maxey, Trey Young. There's several examples. To One question that's always come up is Spring Hill and LeBron has his business with WME. And I thought that maybe when you were attached to UTA that that might come over and it hasn't happened. Why is that? And how does that work when Spring Hill is represented by a rival agency? Spring Hill is a separate company, so they can do whatever they want to do. Zimmer hasn't said, you know, might be nice to bring him over. (laughs) No, I think, I mean, if anybody knows us, when I say us, me, myself, Maverick and LeBron and also Randy, like we're a close knit group and we do things accordingly to how we want to do them. Those LeBron's inner circle for people who don't know the sports world. And what works for Spring Hill works for Spring Hill. I don't really get into the whole rival thing in Hollywood. Like that doesn't really exist to me, mm-hmm. but it's, it's fine. I'm a business guy. So wherever it makes most sense for the business, that's what, that's what works. All right. Let's talk about the business. The NBA, the season starts next week. They've got a huge TV rights negotiation coming up. A lot of speculation about who's going to get different packages. What would you like to see the NBA do in its next? TV rights deal. Oh, get the best deal. So the well, so but what the, does that so mean? Do you want well, do you want them to get the most money, even if it means that the exposure for the game might be limited by being on streaming services almost exclusively? Do you want three packages? Do you want four packages of games? Well, I can't necessarily say to be limited because you know you have to break down where you think the viewership actually comes from in an abundance, right? Sure. Some people still have cable TV. Some people watch it on YouTube TV. Young people do not have cable TV increasingly. And you also have young people that's only watching maybe the highlights of the game or they may may be watching the last three minutes or last five minutes of the game. So the viewership has 
evolved in some aspect in terms of you have multiple areas and ways to actually watch a game. But at the same time, it's lessened in terms of people that actually watch a game from the beginning to the end. It's an unbelievable business around the game of basketball. And so I'm sure they'll, they're strategizing to make the best decision. But ultimately, you can make an argument for it whichever which way you want to go. Well, ultimately, that trickles down to your clients. If they, you know, if they, they maximize money, that's money that ultimately will go, hopefully, in the pockets of your clients. Yeah, well, it, it, definitely, it definitely affects the BRI. I mean, the last TV deal that came into play, that's when you've seen the spike. There was a 30% jump in terms of salaries that year. I think it was 2015. You've seen all those guys get those deals because yeah. we didn't smooth it in. It was just like a big jump. I think whatever happens... I don't think you'll see that again. I don't think you'll you'll see them add that directly to the cap per se. I think it'll be a smoothing type of situation to but where you want that cap to keep going up. Yeah, and it will keep going up. I mean, look, the business of basketball is great. It's going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. We've been all over playing the game basketball, but now it's stretching even further and wider. I don't think there's an issue there. It's just a matter of everything else. Do we go to multiple patches on jerseys instead of one patch, right? And the league was pretty good about sharing that revenue directly with players. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, it also hurt the players. When that big spike came and guys who people felt like shouldn't have got that type of money, got that type of money. But then the guys that came behind them thought that, oh, it'll happen for me too. And when it didn't, that caused a lot of, not on the team or or the organization side, but just from a player perspective, they were kind of confused about why that wasn't happening for me. And so with anything in any business, as it continues to be an evolution within, there's going to be perks and then there's going to be challenges. One of the big challenges is the RSNs, the regional sports networks, which are failing. And that has a big impact on local games for basketball. The Journal reported yesterday that the league could actually dole out some local rights in the new TV deals to kind of make up for the RSNs failing. Um, do you see that as a positive or as like a savior? And if not, what is the savior for these RSNs? You know, look, I'm a, I'm, I'm, <laughs> tough question, I know. No, but I've always, obviously, this stuff is complex. You try to talk to some of the, the, the governors, and owners of the teams, et cetera. You see what Stan Kroenke did in Denver. You see what Matt Ishby is trying to do now. In, in, Putting the games on free local channels yeah. to do, boost it up. You yeah. see what, what James Dolan has always done. You know, I, I like the regional aspect of it, but again, I can't overstep in the conversation in terms of what's best for business. I would have to have a, a deeper conversation with owners to understand it a little bit better, but they're giving them help for a reason. If they're giving them aid, then that means that it's important for viewership for sure. But I think the NFL has actually done a pretty decent job of balancing. Oh, they're the out. best. Yeah, they balance. And their out, philosophy right? is most people as possible. How do we have this game reach the most people as possible? And they're willing to experiment. They experimented with Amazon. They got a shit ton of money from Amazon, but that's the Thursday night game. They're not putting the marquee game. They're games. not putting the Monday night game or the Sunday night game. No, I, right. I think there's some kinks to be worked out on the Thursday night, but even on a Sunday night game is on this station. The Monday night game is on this. So 
you, you're right. They've done an unbelievable job of balancing it out and, and getting as many eyes as possible on the marquee games. Because the worst case scenario, not worst case, but a, a challenge for you would be if the NBA approached this negotiation from a money perspective and said, what is the deal that's going to get us the most money that we can share amongst our owners and ultimately pay the players? Because even if those salaries go up, if the game doesn't reach the customer, that hurts your clients long term. It makes these other deals that you're so excited about, the GMC deal and the movies and all that stuff, less of an option because people aren't going to be as engaged with the game. Yeah, the engagement definitely matters. You know, how do we get the younger fan to be more engaged for a longer period of time, right? And actually want to go to a game and then actually want to watch a game. When I was growing up, we didn't have as many options as kids have today. Nowadays, you see kids, they're playing a video game, they watch somebody play the video game, and they're also on their group chat at the same time. We had, if you had, you know, a color TV, then when you did get a color TV, you had basic cable, you know, it was like less options. So that's just a tough one, man. You know, it, it's, it's really a tough one. But while we're on the, we're on the topic, I want to congratulate the Las Vegas Aces. We represent several Las Vegas oh, yeah? and they won a championship last night, which is great. Asia Wilson, somebody who you talk about how UTA and Clutch Sports Group work and we're integrating that and using someone like her at the center, which we are excited about. Speaking of Vegas, by the way, what's going on with LeBron being an owner? I have no idea. All I oh, know is please. I don't, you know exactly what's going on. I don't want to be an owner. I don't have enough money to own a team. <laughs> if he was able to get ownership in a team, I'm not going with him. No, you wouldn't run a team. If LeBron said, I'm going to be no. an owner, come be our GM, you would do that in a second, wouldn't you? I would I not. Would. No, I would not. No? I, I, a GM? No. I can be a GM, but I don't want to be a GM. What do you want to do ultimately? Mogul? Owner? What do you think ultimately you want to do? Owner, I don't want to, again, I don't have enough money to be an owner. But ultimately, no, I just want to continue to grow different verticals of the ecosystem of sports. want to continue to grow my business, continue to better myself and better educate myself on things that's coming. I started learning about AI the other day and I yeah. was looking, at it, but it's just too complex for me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, and it's, it's scary in some ways. But at the same time, it's like, it's unbelievable where the world is going, but it may also make you appreciate the human a little bit more because we start to disrespect humanity in, 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 in a way in terms of people's expertise and their, and their talents and things like that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you worry a little that, you know, agents are supposed to be behind the scenes? In some ways, you got a profile now that maybe is big as some of your clients or it's not bigger. No, I don't worry about that because I don't I don't represent those guys. Those guys that, you know, that need their ego stroke, they go to certain places. So, yeah, you actually wrote in the book. I thought this was interesting. I wrote it down. You said that you are you're not one of those agents who calls every day. 
No. Wrote that a well-fed ego is not healthy for the athlete. It's not. Really? Like, I feel like the athlete ego is sort of what drives a lot of these guys. No, I think you need ego, but that's not the job. And I think that the business has been built on the wealth feeding egos, right? Mm -hmm. Because you couldn't relate or you didn't have a real relationship with the player or you, you paid a dollar amount to the family or whatnot. And that was the relationship. I understand the business, but I just come from a different perspective and I can relate on any level. It's not just the level of someone who come from a one parent home or a no parent home. And if you came from Stanford with the highest education, I can relate. If you came from, you know, a poverty stricken environment, I can also relate and everything in between. I just don't, you know, there's black and white with me. There's not really a lot of gray at all. There were no gray. And so I understand what the business looked like yesterday. I understand what, what it looks like today. I know what the players that's happen to be agents only, what they do. And I just choose to do different. And I have a platform to where I can speak from a place of truth without caring. I respect that. I feel like there are a lot of agents who say that. And then when they know there's a Bob Sugar coming along that's going to tell their client exactly what the client wants to hear, they may have to alter that. All you got to do is ask, you know, around <laughs> in the marketplace. They'll tell you that's not rich. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, if I'm representing someone, it's because we have a mutual respect. They value the expertise. They're accountable. They hold me accountable. And we do great business. It's never going to be on the basis of, me telling them how great they are every day. Yeah. So one of the things you talk about in the book, a lot it comes up, is how you don't want to play the game. You want to change the game. Yes. So I'm looking at some of the deals that are out there, or at least some of the conversations. What did you think about the messy deal with Apple, where he's getting a piece of their subscriber numbers? Or the Caleb Williams thing, he wants part ownership of whatever team he gets, he signs to. Is that going to yeah, happen? That's just not realistic. But <laughs> that's the, illegal, the, right? Yeah. The messy piece I thought was great because here you have a guy that's coming to the MLS. Obviously, the MLS is the MLS, right? Mm -hmm. And for a player of messy stature at this time, you know, is, is he in this prime? Probably not. But is he? No, but he's 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 a huge get for the MLS. Right. Is he too far past his prime? No. But more importantly, they had an understanding of what his presence was going to do to the value of not just the Miami team, but also the MLS as an organization, yeah. which is great. And then the viewership and all those things. So be able to, if I could, I would get paid from the butter on the popcorn in these arenas. If the, if it wasn't the certain rules for certain guys, certain guys are just that box office. Right. Mm -hmm. And so every sport is different. They took advantage of it. As far as the Caleb Williams thing, that's just not realistic. I can't fault him for thinking that way. You know, I don't want to be a hypocrite and say, oh, you shouldn't try to disrupt the industry because I think that that's great. But I think he'll stand a better chance given the fact that he plays wherever he gets drafted at, whenever he comes out and gets drafted. He plays well. He builds a career. He builds a Hall of Fame career, wins some Super Bowls and build a relationship with an ownership group, whether his existing ownership group or a new ownership group coming in, and, and he positioned himself in a way in which he's able to be in that room and they see him of value. Like you look at a guy like Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. Tom Brady couldn't have got equity in the Raiders prior to being Tom Brady, but
being Tom Brady on the back end, it makes sense for whatever he decides to do going forward. And so I just think it's about perspective. You know, I don't want to knock anybody and what their ideas are, but that's just not realistic right now. Apparently, Aaron Rodgers wanted equity with the Jets, and they said, I'm no, sure he did. Well. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, Aaron is not wrong for asking for that. And, and it, you know, again, he's an established quarterback. Yeah. He's a Super Bowl champ. You they know, can maybe, always say no. They can always say no. Right. Yeah. So I cannot Caleb's team for asking for it. But, you know, I just think on the coming into it, it's probably less realistic than it would be coming out and, and accomplished as some of those guys are. Yeah. Where do you see the next front in sports business going? Like, What is the next evolution? Is it players getting pieces of different aspects of the businesses that they're benefiting? If I can change something, and this is what something that I'm, I'm working on and very passionate about, it's two things. One, I thought this whole players being able to be part of ownership, and it's like, that's for show. The players don't have enough money. And by the way, if you do have a ownership piece where you're going to have 0.00001% of a team that's never selling. And by the way, you're getting in at a premium now. It's not like when Michael Jordan bought the, bought the Bobcats and it was, what was it at that time? Uh, $300 million. Not what it is today. Right. And he sold for 3 billion. Right. That's not necessarily the case. And for me, I feel like forget ownership of the team. That's bullshit. But what we should be able to do is be a part of the portfolio, have access to the deal flow mm-hmm. of the actual owners, right? These players should be able to have access to their owners' deal flow because most of these owners are from private equity, VC, whatever the case may be. They didn't yeah. buy these teams making basketball decisions. They bought these teams because they built businesses that afforded them the ability to buy the team. And so forget being a part of the team, be a part of the the process that allowed them to build the wealth to actually purchase the team. Sometimes they're relationships. Like Chris Paul developed a relationship with Bob Iger and they've done business together. The one thing that athletes are doing better, they are doing a better job of developing relationships outside of their sport, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. But then how do you compound that, right? You can't just be... You can't just be happy hanging with billionaires. That's never got anybody <laughs> anywhere, right? And, and I know it looks great to the people yeah. that aren't able You're, to. How dare you? Michael Rubin has built an entire business on people want to come and, come and hang out with him. And Michael Rubin is a friend of mine, but <laughs> Michael Rubin will be the first to tell you, if Rich got business, I got business. I'm not hanging with Michael yeah. in, in that case. He's yeah, already Fanatics does help a lot of these people he hangs out with. I don't want to say it doesn't, but yes. Yeah, no, Michael's very, very gracious and, and forthgiving with, with things, but that's why he got an ownership business so he can do certain yeah. things that he wanted to do. But I'm just saying in terms of smartening up from that perspective, forget the ownership aspect of it. Now, being a part of someone's deal flow where I can invest in compounds, different. okay, great. The other thing I, that I'm really talking, I've had conversations with a few owners. I've had conversations with Adam Silver about this is we need to have an understanding of in a situation where players can take 20% of their income, place this money into a portfolio. That portfolio becomes a diversified portfolio, a sign. So now if you can take these guys 
assign a team that sits on the committee of this portfolio, assign some players, just like you do with the players union, a couple guys that sits on the committee. They monitor this portfolio. You do not touch this money until you're five years removed from the league. Hmm. This is a great idea. Have you floated this? I floated this. No, this is what I'm working on right now. It's complex, but it makes a lot of sense. When these guys retire, or when they're done playing, they're 30, 33, but retirement is not till 52. Where for an athlete, we need to have legislature change what's the retirement age. Therefore, they can start getting their funds and things from their pitch sooner because you miss the opportunity to compound that finance if I'm waiting on it to get here. So that's, to me, is the biggest thing going forward. And you come at this from having you know represented top of the market with LeBron. And also with Adele, you're dating Adele. Like, do you ever, do you give Adele business advice? She's pretty smart. <laughs> Every, but you're awesome. learning. I mean, you're now, you're now have access to the board of directors of a top talent agency. You might, you might have something to offer there. Yeah. I, I would say there's a lot of people that considers some of the things that I will advise, but I'm not the smartest person in the world. I try to be a sponge. I try to learn as much as I can, but ultimately I come from a place of care and authenticity. So, well, because, you know, she did a very different thing than Taylor and Beyonce this summer where they went on these big tours and she did a residency and her fans came to her. So that's like, you must have a perspective on watching the music business from the outside like this. Look, Matt, I don't really talk about my personal life. All I would say is I'm a sponge. I pay attention to everything. Interesting. You could go into music. You could start representing music artists. <laughs> I could definitely go into music, and I just might go into music. I've actually been thinking about going yeah. into music. I, I really have been thinking about going into music. I have. Who's the ideal artist you would love to represent? That's a good question. Um, I mean, you talk about Jay-Z a lot in your book. I love Jay. I would love to represent Jay-Z in 97. Yeah. He's not, yeah. yeah, he... He's got a lot of things going on these days. He's not rapping no more. So that's, <laughs> I'm trying to get him to come out and just do something for our group chat just so yeah. we can have something to listen to. But no, I think music is in a great space. I think the substance of some of the music that I hear now should be in a better space. And hopefully that changes. Um, and I think it'll help everything. I think it'll help these kids. I think, I think it'll help the artists because there's no emotional attachment to a lot of the music today. Hmm. You're not really learning anything. And not that you need to, Music can't be relatable. It can't be a vitamin only, right? It has to be relatable. But I think all music was led at its core was there was always an emotional connection to it. The storytelling, the substance, the lyrics, obviously the beats and all that stuff matters, but it's then got so saturated and watered down and the subject matter, everyone sounds the same. It's hard for me to take a listen, to be honest with you. All right, well, Jeremy Zimmer, who listens to this podcast, take note, Rich Paul would like to be in the music business. <laughs> no, listen, I've, I've already told Jeremy that. And, you know, I may start Clutch Music tomorrow. It depends on how I feel. We'll see. All right. Well, I appreciate the time. The book is fascinating. I really enjoyed reading it. Congratulations. Uh, good luck with the NBA season. Thank you, Matt. This was great. This was fun. Thank you. All right. We're back with the call sheet. Craig, you're pretty pumped about Killers of the Flower Moon, the uh, Scorsese movie. I mean, look, how many more Leonardo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese movies are we going to get? Probably one every few years until Scorsese dies, but I see your point. Yes. So this one's an interesting one because it is the first wide release 
from Apple. Apple picked up this movie. It cost more than $200 million. They're saying $200 million. That has got a gigantic asterisk next to it. It is the Scorsese asterisk. His movies always cost more than what they say. And they're dropping it in 3,600 theaters this weekend via Paramount. They did a distribution deal because Paramount can release movies theatrically. Apple does not have that infrastructure. So Apple paid for the movie. And what is does that mean, it. by the way? Why do you need to go to a studio to release a movie wide theatrically? Taylor Swift didn't do it. Because there's you, you need the infrastructure. You need to book the theaters. You need to have the Apple physical... can't book theaters? How, what do you mean? Uh, th- there's a whole distribution arm of these studios. that That is what they do. They're expert at it. And frankly, we saw with Taylor Swift last weekend that she kind of left some money on the table. We whiffed on our predictions because ultimately it came in at about 92.8 million dollars, which is a phenomenal opening for a concert film, but it was not what some, including me, had expected based on the demand and the pre-sales. And some believe that is because they didn't have a traditional distributor do it. And there was no marketing campaign outside of her social and a few NFL ads. And that's what a distributor like Paramount can do for a movie like this, even though you know Apple could have just paid for their own distribution arm. Amazon, for instance, has its own distribution apparatus and they distribute their own movies. Apple chose to hire it out and farm out distribution. And they are agreeing up front when they make a lot of these movie deals now that they will give these movies wide releases and a real 45-day exclusivity window in theaters for the movie. So this is going to feel like a traditional opening, even though it's got a streamer behind it. I just don't know if people are going to show up for this. It's a three and a half hour drama and the tracking's 26 million. I'm going to take the under. It's hard, right? Everybody has the rose colored lenses of Oppenheimer, the three hour drama that made almost a billion dollars. That's not going to happen. It's not the summer. It doesn't have the Barbenheimer effect. I think I agree with you that I don't know how many people are going to be rushing to see it this weekend, knowing that it's three and a half hours. I feel like a lot of people are going to say, I'll wait until this comes out. I feel like there's a difference between three hours and three and a half. Like that is like, I hate to use the terminology. That is a bridge too far for most tipping people. Point? Like, I feel like 310 is the tipping point where I'm like, okay. I don't know. But like, it's it just, especially for a drama, this is not Avatar. This is not an action movie. I mean, there's elements of it, but everybody I've talked to that's seen it is like, it is a drama. Like most of the scenes are people talking. So it feels long. And I would just, you know, I think most people would rather just see this in multiple installments on their couch. Well, I hope they go see it. I'm going to go see it in theaters. Yeah. You have to report back on your butt numbing experience. Was it full <laughs> numb? Was it half numb? Portion numb? I wish there was an intermission, but we can get to that in a different episode. Yeah. Bring a catheter. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guests, Rich Paul. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez. And I want to thank you. We will see you next week. <laughs> 